Past Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past. I'm talking about the history. I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he is. He's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, David Mann. I got in here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business never put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh yeah, from the CSB studios in Hasbro Heights, New Jersey, on the MTR radio network. This is the Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLE.com. Anybody tuned in from about 5.05, I apologize. Listen, I'll tell a quick story, not, a, not that big of a deal. I think we've all been through it. I, I had to just use the men's room, number one, and bottom line is I couldn't have held it off anymore. Uh, Chris Mitchell from Wild for Sports was, you know, nice enough to have me in for the last uh, half hour or so of his show. So I want to start by thanking him for having me on. Um, next two hours, past ball show, MTR Radio Network. A lot of different things going on in baseball. Uh, at 5.40 today, I'll be joined by uh, Dan Schlossberg, who has written 35 baseball books and 25,000 baseball-related articles. He also hosts a podcast that is on Thursdays called Braves Banter, and we'll be speaking to him you know, in a little bit. Um, top, top of the next hour, I'll have Rich Catino from SNY.TV and WFAN.com to give us a little perspective on everything going on with the Mets. And then at 635, I'll be joined by uh, former Mets pitcher DJ Carrasco, and you know, we'll get to talk a little bit there. So ton of stuff going on. Uh, of course, the MLB draft just finished itself and you know, I'm going to I'm going to get into a couple things here. But what I'll do is I'll open up the phone lines if you want to call in. I'll give you a little time to call today. It's a uh, 609 910 0687. 
And that's the uh, MTR number, 609-910-0687. The last three numbers stand for MTR. So if you ring in now, I'll be able to get your call in probably up until around like 525 or so when I'll break, and then I'll, you know, I'll bring the backup number in for my guest. But MLB draft you know, goes on the other day. And what I find amazing about you know, really all, all these people that talk, and it's not, it's not just the experts. It's the people that think they're the experts. When it comes to baseball draft, it's it's funny because, you know, if you go through Twitter, if you go through, you know, probably through Facebook as well, you got all these people that just think that they know everything about all these players coming out in the draft. And as the Mets end up taking a shortstop by the name of Gavin Sashini with the 12th pick in the draft, you have to you have to, I have to listen to all these people that are trying to tell me. That, it, you know, this is a good pick, this is a bad pick. Yeah, listen, leave your opinion out of it. What do you know about this player? He's a high school player. Obviously, he had good numbers, and he was rated fairly high. How are you going to tell me that this guy isn't going to be any good? How are you going to tell me, hey, I don't like the pick? Well, who cares if you like the pick? Who are you to tell me that you could tell you could let me know everything that's going on about the major league draft? You know, I, I respect John Mayo's opinion. I respect a lot of the other guys, you know, Kevin Goldstein, people people like that that actually study these players. But some rat random random jackass with a random Twitter handle is gonna tell me he don't like the pick? Who cares what you think about it? Jeez. I mean it's not like we're talking about people that are built over a certain body of work that you could judge or dislike or like or, you know, you know, think they're going to be good or bad. You're talking about a player that's coming out of high school. You've got to be out of your pick in mind if, you, if you're going to tell me that this person isn't going to be any good off of any common sense opinion. You're just being random. All you're doing is being random. You're sending out a tweet, I don't like this pick, backing it up with no information. And I'm not going to tell you I have any information either. I don't know what this pick is. I can't tell you if, if you know, the guy that was taken first, the shortstop by the Astros, I don't know if he's going to be a star or not. But I admit that I don't know stuff like this. I'm not going to go on and tell you who I think the Mets should have taken with the number 12 pick in the draft. And, and there is some research out there. And and some people do take a lot of their time, and I, I do give I do give some people credit for the time that they put in to study these players and what they project to and stuff like that. But you cannot say, off the mere mention of somebody being picked, that they either are, or are not going to be a legitimate major league player. It's something we don't know about, and unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't work out. And that's you know that's sad. We don't we don't want that to happen. We don't want a number one draft pick of any draft to not become a major leaguer. But the bottom line is it happens, and there's been number one overall picks that have been disasters. You know, even a guy like Luke Hoshiver, who was the number one overall pick by the Kansas City Royals about four or five years ago, is struggling to become to be to continue to be a major league starter. If he keeps pitching as inconsistently as he has, he's not going to be in a major league rotation for that much longer. And this is a guy who, at the time he was drafted, was really rated high. Maybe not Strasburg high, but was rated very high. 
and projected to be a major league starter, a top of the rotation type of pitcher. So you don't know what's going to happen from you know A to Z. A is being drafted, Z is making the major leagues. There's a lot of things that happen there. Unfortunately, when it comes to pitchers, there's arm injuries and stuff like that that can derail a career. A guy like Steven Strasburg, who's made it back to the majors now but had to undergo a Tommy John surgery in order to do it. You don't know what's going to happen with these guys' arms. You don't know how they're going to manage from either high school or college to facing major league hitters for the first time. And they still got levels. They got to go through rookie ball. They got to go through, you know, class A, double A, triple A, where the quality of hitters is going to grow a little bit. And, you know, that all being said, you know, there's no guarantee that any of these players are going to be able to make the major leagues. But uh, you also cannot go the other route. You also cannot say there's no way this guy is going to make it. There's no way this guy is going to be any good because there's just not enough information to be to, to back that up. Now, since we're talking about the Major League Draft, I found it something very interesting. If you check out my blog, johnpielli.com, Bases Empty blog, you know, I post something every day baseball-related. I think today, if I'm not mistaken, which I haven't sent it out again, I talked about the uh, Arizona Diamondback situation and their owner running his mouth, which I may touch on in a little bit. I may not. But a couple days ago, I was talking about the the compensatory picks, the compensatory picks, or however you say that word. I mean, you, you could tell maybe you could say it a little better than I can. But the bottom line is the pick that's given as compensation for a team signing a key free agent that belongs to another team. And, of course, that's, you know, it's a big deal every year. You see that, you know, teams gain picks in between the first and second round. You know, they don't, they don't you know, they, the new collective bargaining agreement is keeping, really keeping, unless it's an absolute superstar, keeping a team from being able to lose its first round draft pick. Now, these, these compensation picks that go on in between the first and second round are interesting because they do cover a lot of free agents, a lot of key free agents that signed with other teams. You got guys like Michael Kadire, Heath Bell, and I'm doing it in order from the picks awarded. The 32nd pick was given to the Minnesota Twins for the Rockies signing Michael Kadire. The 33rd pick was given to the, the San Diego Padres for the Marlins signing Heath Bell. The 34th pick was given to the Oakland A's for the Minnesota Twins signing Josh Willingham. And so on with Jose Reyes at 35, Albert Pujols at 36, Jonathan Papelbon at 37, Prince Field, C.J. Wilson at 39, and Ryan Madsen at 30. So that's how the picks were, I'm sorry, 40. And that's how the picks were awarded, 32 through 40, based on the free agents that signed with other teams. So the team that lost the key free agent ended up getting that extra pick. Now, from that point on, from picks 41 to 60, you've got to be kidding me with teams being awarded, rewarded picks for losing some free agents. And obviously the play of the first guy that's taken it, you know, that's, that you know, cost or actually gained the Houston Astros a pick, his play this year is certainly a reason why he's like a surprise. But Clint Barmas signing with the Pittsburgh Pirates, got the Houston Astros the 41st pick in the draft. And I think that's straight-up silly. And if you think that's silly, let me, let me see where I move on a little bit from. Ryan Domit, who leaves the Pirates and goes to the Minnesota Twins, as compensation, the Pirates get the 45th pick. 
Mark Ellis, who's been a very good player, and actually until he got hurt with the Dodgers, was was actually doing a very good job for them and leading them to where they have been in the standings, and that's first place in the NL West. But Mark Ellis gets the Colorado Rockies the 46th overall pick. Rod Barajas gets the Pirates the 51st pick. I'm sorry, you know, gets the uh, the Dodgers the 51st pick when he gets sun signs with the Pirates. Rod Barajas? Octavio Dotel, who is the definition of a journeyman pitcher. Yes, he's had success. Yes, he makes some teams better when he's put into the bullpen. But here's a guy that's on a different team every year. And the St. Louis Cardinals are given the 52nd pick in the baseball draft when Octavio Dotel signs with the Detroit Tigers. And right after that, Darren Oliver, who leaves the Texas Rangers for what, the fourth or fifth time? How many different stints does Darren Oliver have with the Rangers? He helps them out again when he leaves and signs with the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Rangers get the 53rd pick in the draft. The Blue Jays, who end up doing better than anybody, watch as the Cincinnati Reds get the 57th pick when Francisco Cordero signs with them. But John Roush, Frank Francisco, and listen to this, Jose Molina all get the Toronto Blue Jays draft picks because they signed somewhere else. I understand Francisco. He's a closer. Like, love him or hate him with the Mets. He's probably worth the draft pick. And you could say maybe the same with Francisco Cordero. But John Roush? John Roush gets the Toronto Blue Jays a sandwich pick between the first and second round of the 2012 MLB player draft? you got to be kidding me. And there's no bigger joke in this than the fact that Jose Molina, who has never been a starting catcher at the major league level, gets the Toronto Blue Jays the 60th pick. That's insane. So Frank Francisco, John Roush, and Jose Molina, who I'm telling you the Toronto Blue Jays are not missing any one of them, got the Blue Jays three picks between the first and second round of the 2012 MLB player draft. That's absolutely insane. That is crazy. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm lost for words. I don't know how to describe that. I mean, that's, to me, it's a little silly. So between everybody being an MLB draft expert and these teams being rewarded picks for bench players, I don't know. I didn't enjoy the MLB draft as much because I'm tired of hearing people talk about how much they know, and they're going to tell me that Darren Sassini is not going to be a good major leaguer because I don't like the Mets pick. They should have taken Courtney Hawkins, who went to the White Sox. What do you know? Tell me. Tell me that you know something. Tell me you're not just throwing stuff out of your ass. It's a little ridiculous. Know something before you say it. And unfortunately, with the, in, in the emergence of Twitter, everybody gets to hide behind, behind this imaginary Twitter handle and doesn't even have, don't even have to 
identify who they are, and they can go say whatever they want. And unfortunately, I, I got to see it. Real baseball fans have to see it. And it's just a waste of time. It has its good things, but I'm telling you, when, when somebody's just randomly going to say, yeah, <laughs> I don't like it. And you know what? How many idiots, the five idiots that retweet them when they say, hey, I don't like the Mets 12 pick. What do you know? Tell me what you've studied. Tell me what you know, not only about the game of baseball, but about the MLB player draft and the player that's coming out of high school that's going to tell me that you know that he's not going to be a major leaguer. You're crazy. I'm going to throw one more shout out before I take a break. The number is uh, 609 I'm sorry, 609-910-0687 if you want to get into the past ball show. MTR Radio Network brought to you by JohnPLE.com. Uh, once again, I got Dan Schlossberg. I got Rich Catino. I got DJ Carrasco, jam-packed show going on till 7 o'clock when Greg Carlucci takes over for the Carlucci Show, and he'll be interviewing a guy by the name of Tony Napoli, author of a book called My, My, My Dad, My Don, and he, it's going to be a great interview, a guy whose father had traces to the mob. Uh, you know, if you, you know, definitely want to get off baseball, sports a little bit, get into a little real life which is what the Carlucci Show will bring you at 7 o'clock today here on the MTR Radio Network. Um, a couple days ago, there was, there, there was an anniversary of the 10-cent beer night. And once again, I'll give you a chance if you want to chime in. 609-910-0687, Passball Show, John Pielli on the MTR Radio Network. But 10 Cents Beer Night was uh, held in Cleveland on June 4th, 1974. And a couple of interesting things about that is that it wasn't the first one and actually wasn't the last one of, of you know these these real cheap beer promotions which were obviously had one reason and that's to get fans in the seats. The Cleveland Indians were struggling at the time to draw fans. Only about 8,000 people were coming to uh, I believe it was uh Municipal Stadium in Cleveland at the time and they obviously had this 10 cent beer night not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. Prior to that, there was a 10-cent beer night in Texas where the Indians played the Rangers and ended up resulting in a bench-clearing brawl with no fans charging the field. So there was every reason to think that this game would have been fine, even with the bad blood between the two teams. Uh, Lenny Randall and John Ellis and Milt Wilcox were amongst those that got in the bench-clearing brawl throwing punches, but there was nothing that ended up happening in this game between the two teams. It was the amount of beer that was consumed by these fans which made it a historic night. A night that ended up bringing to Cleveland, bringing to the owners' wallets, 25,134 people when they were averaging 8,000 people you know, in each, each game. And you know, things started to get out of hand a little bit. The Indians actually were trailing the game. By the score of five to one for the majority of the game, ended up having a late comeback. But firecrackers start going off, you know. Other things start happening. A woman flashed her breast at the Indian in the Indians on deck circle as she goes on the field. A streaker runs out, slides into second base. Uh, two fans are mooning the bleachers from the outfield after they get on the field. Imagine trying that nowadays. These people would get killed. And it just shows things that were going on in the seventies, which you know the game was so much 
It was so much more for the fans. They they were able to go on a field without a problem. So it ends up getting you know a little a little bit more crazy as the game goes on. Mike Hargrove, who's at the time a defensive replacement for the Texas Rangers, ends up becoming the Indians' manager. Of course, gets them the two World Series in 1995 and 1997. Ends up you know being hit with objects and spit on by the fans, and it all comes to a head in the top in the in the sorry the bottom of the ninth inning. The Indians had already rallied to tie the game at five and five. And a fan runs out onto the field, tries to steal the cap of Rangers outfielder Jeff Burroughs. And Burroughs ends up wrestling with the fan, ends up being knocked to the ground. And there was other fans on the field at the time. And manager Billy Martin, who, you know, to name drop in his game, because there were some interesting figures in, involved in this game, ends up charging the field, instructing his players to go and defend Burroughs, and it turns out to be a melee in right field between the Rangers players and the fans. And what's the most interesting thing about it is that you go back not too long ago, the Indians and the Rangers were fighting on the field with each other. Indians manager Ken Aspromonte orders his players to grab bats and defend the Rangers players that are being attacked by the fans, which I thought was amazing. So there's this big riot going on in right field. Um, you know, the the umpire was the uh, crew chief was third base umpire Nestor Chilak, and he ends up deciding that this, there's no way this game could go on. They they end up needing to have some serious police force in there to remove people and you know really to separate everything that's going on here. And what ends up happening is the game gets forfeited in favor of the Rangers by the Indians and their fans and their organization. And I, you know, I think one of, it's certainly one of the more interesting days in baseball history, which happened 38 years ago on June the 4th, today being the 7th. So, you know, yeah, you get a chance to read that article. I think there's a lot of good points in there. There's some good pictures that I ended up uh, uploading. You check it out on johnpielli.com, Bases Empty blog. And, uh, certainly, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw a couple more facts in there. Starting pitchers for the game. You know, you baseball historians out there. Ferguson Jenkins was pitching for the for the Texas Rangers. He ended up getting hit in the stomach with a line drive. And, and the fans chanted, hit him again, hit him again, harder, harder. And though the, the Indians fans were not calling for former Indians pitcher Mel Harder, the late Mel Harder. No, they were, they were actually, you know, hoping that there would be more violence in the game. And the fans ends up taking care of it as is. But I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to switch up the phone line so we can take Dan in at about 5.40. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, com. Talk to you in a little bit. Welcome to mtrradio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. 
Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. MTR. Oh, yeah. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. This is John Pielli. Uh, we'll be on with you until 7 o'clock tonight when a Carlucci show and Greg Carlucci joins the airwaves of MTR Radio. The New York Mets, who are in a little bit of a funk, dropping the last three games, including the last two against the Washington Nationals, came out today and had a solid 3-1 to victory over the Nationals, taking the final game of that series and returning to six games over 500, one and a half games out in the National League East. They were carried today by a guy who... Listen, deserves some more credit right now, should be getting some more recognition, and I think it'll happen. And that's R.A. Dickey, who has been phenomenal. Dickey improving to 9-1 and one this year. And as you, know, as you just heard, I'm sure plenty of people have talked about it. Dickey's only loss was that game, the rain-soggy game against the Atlanta Braves, where he felt like he was throwing beach balls with his knuckleball because the ball was so wet. Outside of that, he's 9-0 and with a 1.6 ERA this year. Dickey really has been unbeatable. And in spite of Johan Santana's no-hitter in his last start, Dickey may be the best starting pitcher the Mets have right now. I mean, he is certainly capable of going out there 6, 7, probably seven, more 7, 8 innings every start and really is looking like he has found himself as an all-star major league pitcher. And he, I believe, I got to check this. If I'm wrong, sue me. But I believe he was the first pitcher to reach nine wins this year with his ninth victory today. And that's three to one victory over the Washington Nationals. But the bottom line is this guy actually goes out there and there's a chance he could go seven, eight innings just about every time out. What he is doing with the knuckleball is absolutely amazing. He is not throwing the knuckleball like Tim Wakefield or Charlie Huff or Steve Sparks, or Dennis Springer, or some of the other guys. He's throwing it maybe better right now than anybody has ever thrown it before. And if you look at knuckleball pitchers, you you certainly look at the criteria and the qualities that they usually have, and they have rubber arms. They could go back on short rest like Dickey did today. They can go out there and probably pitch relief if they need to. They can pitch, you know, you look at the guys like the you know Phil Necro and Huff and Hoyt Wilhelm and, you know, guys like that that, you know, threw, you know, mastered the knuckleball and they can throw a complete game just about every time out. But one thing you're seeing with Dickey that's different than these other pitchers is his ability to control it. He has almost like an immaculate control over this knuckleball and he started to see it a little bit in 2010 when he made his return to the big leagues. Now, he had some issues in the first half of last year. <clears throat> and he see he seems to have gotten through it. But what he has done that's been interesting is his 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 ability to throw the knuckleball for strike just about any time out. A lot of times you look at a guy like Wakefield, who's probably the modern day baseball fans' best comparison right now. Here's a guy who pitched, you know, eighteen years in the big leagues. You know, a lot of them with the Boston Red Sox. You had to get a feel for where he was with the knuckleball early. And there were some days he just didn't have it. There were some days that it just wasn't floating in the right direction. There were some days that he couldn't throw it for a strike. And you got to be honest, and i got to be honest, 
you know, it was kind of a coin flip over what you were going to get out of a guy like Tim Wakefield on a consistent basis because the knuckleball couldn't be controlled, and a lot had to do with what kind of catcher you had. Jason Baratek was never able to catch him. So you didn't really know what you were going to get day in and day out. R.A. Dickey has so many variations off of the knuckleball that he, he, could, he could do anything with it. He actually had one in his last start when he threw a shutout against, um, you know, against the uh, Cardinals where the ball was actually rising. He was throwing a knuckleball that was going up. You know, he has done so many different things with it, and he has revolutionized the pitch. I, I can't see why this guy can't maintain it for the next several years, let alone the rest of the season. And I'll tell you right now, you know, you talk about Cole Hamels, who has pitched well. Beachy for the Braves has actually done a very good job. And I'm going to ask uh, Dan Schlausberg about that when he calls in. There's been some very good pitchers in the National League. Lance Lynn, you know, guys that, you know, have, you know, eight, you know, approaching nine wins. Tell me there's a pitcher that deserves to start the All-Star game for the National League any more than R.A. Dickey. Not only is he an All-Star, but at this point right now, he has got to be the guy that's going to grab the ball for the National League All-Stars. He ran his scoreless inning streak up to 24 and a third innings by going 7 and a third today, leading the Mets to a 3-1 victory over the Washington Nationals. A game that some people say was urgent, a game that some people say the Mets absolutely needed. And listen, I'm, I'm more content you know, now that you know, the game's over and the Mets won and I'm not going to say it was a must-win, maybe my attitude changes a little bit. And I think that's fair to say. You know, I think that's fair to say that, you know, maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe it wasn't that important that, the you know, the Mets won today. But the good thing is that they did. And they got this victory over the Nationals, a team that is in first place, a team that right now I have to say is better than the New York Mets. But maybe not by that much. And I think the game-and-a-half lead that the Nationals have over the New York Mets is just about justified at this point. You know, the Nationals, you know, certainly are being hit with injuries. And maybe they're being hit with injuries worse than the New York Mets are right now. And they deserve some credit for the way that they've been able to hang in there. And they've been able to stick with, you know, not only with the teams in the division, but have a lead right now. And to really kind of state what the Nationals have done, they've had some makeshift players in there. Jason Wirth is out right now. Ryan Zimmerman was out. Michael Morse spent a lot of this season on the disabled list. And before I get into that, I'm going to welcome the author of over 35 baseball books and more than 25,000 baseball articles and the host of a podcast that starts at 7 o'clock today called Braves Banter. And that is Dan Schlossberg. Dan Giampielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Glad to talk to you, John. How's everything going? Uh, it's going pretty good, man. Definitely going good. Uh, I was, was looking at some information about you. You've, ri- you've written a lot of, lot of different baseball books. Um, you, you wrote a book about the uh, 300 Win Club. Um, yeah, it's, it's called have, have We Seen the Last of Baseball's 300 Game Winners? Right, the 300 club, that's right. Yeah, and, and I actually find it interesting because I think you make, you, you make some good points about it. Let, let the fans know a little bit about the book and what, what brought you to uh, write the book about the 300 win club and how it may be going down to nothing right now. Well, pitchers really don't get any credit. I mean, 
everything is about hitting these days, 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. People talk about Barry Bonds versus Hank Aaron, and they're always talking about hitting. But pitchers, I think, are so much overlooked. And to win 300 games is such a major accomplishment. There have only been 24 pitchers in baseball history who have done that, and only 10 of those are still living, which is really amazing to me. So I, I interviewed all 10 living 300-game winners, talked to them all, talked about how they did it, whether they think it might happen again, and every one of them, to a man, came up with the same conclusion, that because pitching has changed so much, it'll never happen again. And what they basically said is most of them during their careers pitched in four-man rotations, not five-man rotations. That makes a huge difference because you don't get as many starts. But also the pitch count deal, where you only get maybe about 100 pitches, makes a tremendous difference. There was a game in 1963 July 2nd, to be exact, between Warren Spahn and Juan Marichal, where both guys went all the way in a 16-inning game. Warren Spahn was 42 years old and threw 200 pitches in that game. There were games where Nolan Ryan threw many, many, many pitches because he gave up so many walks. If you have a pitch count and you're working in a five-man rotation, it's hard enough to win 20 games. And if you don't win 20 games, you're not going to win 300. you got to do the match, John, because 20 years of 15 wins or 15 years of 20 wins, that's 300 wins. And there's nobody even close. Even though Jamie Moyer did re-sign again with the Baltimore Orioles, there's no way. I mean, he's got 269 wins, but he's going to be 50 in November. 50, 5-0. I mean, you know... He pitched with the Rockies just few games and he got released. He's not going to be much better with Baltimore. No, it's going to be hard, and I, I would be surprised if he was able to maintain a spot in their rotation, especially especially the way they're playing right now. Um, one one question I did want to ask you about it: Do you think uh, what do you think is more of a factor to why you know pitchers aren't getting as many wins? Is it the pitch count, or is it more along the lines of? you know, the mentality that pitchers have coming up now, that they just know that, you know, if I pitch six innings, that's fine. You know, is it, is it more of the pitch count itself or the mindset of the pitchers nowadays? Well, it's not so much the mindset of the pitchers. It's more like the mindset of the managers and the owners and the general managers because they're paying guys to be a eighth-inning man, seventh-inning man, closer. You know, the closer used to go like three or four innings at a shot. Now he goes one inning. He goes to ninth inning. So they have to have another guy for the eighth inning, another guy for the seventh inning. And they're paying these guys big bucks. So when you are paying these guys, you don't want them sitting around in your bullpen doing nothing. So the starting pitcher really thinks, oh, he only has to go six or seven innings, and that's about it. And you're right. It's the mindset of not only the pitcher but the manager and the general manager and the owner but you know the combination of the pitch counts, the five-man rotations, and the lack of complete games, I mean, that's a major, major thing. In fact, if you look at Warren Spahn's record, I keep referring to Warren Spahn, but everything he did was so amazing. He's, of course, one of the 300-game winners. Yeah. But if you look at his record, he had 363 wins, and that's the most by any left-handed pitcher in baseball history. He also had 382 complete games. So he had more complete games than wins, which indicates that because he was a pretty decent hitter, too, he was left in to pitch the whole game, even when he was losing the game. I mean, that certainly doesn't happen. Now they take guys out who are winning the game, sometimes with no hitters in progress. So <laughs> things have really, really changed, John. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and listen, one thing you said about him throwing more complete games than wins, uh, you, you definitely will not see that again. No, no, no way. I mean, now if a guy gets three or four complete games a year, that's a great season. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Hey, moving on, now, I'll give you a chance to plug your show, your podcast that you do on Thursdays. 
uh, it was a Braves banner. Tell tell the fans and the listeners a little bit about that and how they could uh, they, they could uh, listen if they want to. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Braves Banner airs every Thursday. It's an interview format show. It's 30 minutes long. It's on blogtalkradio.com. And we interview a lot of people connected with the Braves. For example, uh, John Smoltz is going to be on the show on June 28th, Thursday night. Uh, Chip Carey, the Braves broadcaster, is going to be on the show next week on June 14th. Tonight, Billy Sample, June 7th, is going to be on. So we got really, really good-named people. We've had Ron Gant, Brian Jordan, Dale Murphy, Phil Necro, a lot of very famous names in baseball. Uh, earlier this year, we had Freddie Gonzalez on. We had Pete Van Wuren, the retired Braves broadcaster. So every week, we try to bring a big-name baseball personality somehow connected to the Braves. In fact, on May 31st, we had Milo Hamilton, who was the Houston Astros radio voice, but he was the first voice of the Braves from 1966 when they moved to Atlanta right through 1975. Definitely so nice we had catch big there. names every week. Yeah, definitely a nice catch there with Milo Hamilton. I mean, he's definitely one of the – probably one of the more underrated big-time broadcasters in the history of baseball. He, I don't think he gets enough credit for everything he's done over the years. Yeah, I agree. Milo started in 1953 with the St. Louis Browns, and he worked for seven different ball clubs, including the Cubs twice. And he's been with Houston since 1985. And, you know, Houston only went to the World Series once, and, of course, he was there. But Milo only wears one World Series ring, the 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates, because Milo took the spot vacated by Bob Prince there. So that's his only World Series ring in all that time. Wow. Do you think, and I'll, I mean, I'm going to move on to, you know, get, get a little opinion about the Braves with you, too. Um, do you think uh, a little bit with the you know the lack of you know people that know about you know Milo Hamilton and it's unfortunate because he he is certainly one of the legends to ever broadcast games for baseball. Do you think you think it has something to do with the amount of different teams that he's covered that he isn't he isn't necessarily known as one one voice in one spot similar to a Vince Scully? You could say that, but if you think about Milo, he broadcast probably the most famous moment of baseball history, and that was when Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run record on April 8, 1974. And every time you see the video of that moment, you hear Milo's radio call on WSB Radio in Atlanta because it was so good. There were two other Hall of Fame broadcasters working that night, that game. Kurt Gowdy and Vin Scully also were working the same game. Uh, Vin was with the Dodgers then, and Kurt was with NBC. And, you know, Milo's call was just so good that it's always paired with the video. And when you go to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown and you see the multimedia show prior to going to the Hall of Fame, you see that home run and you hear Milo's call. So he's probably not, you might not, you know, know that it's Milo Hamilton's call, but his work is certainly appreciated. And by the way, he called 11 no-hit games, 11. And one of those was six Astros pitchers at Yankee Stadium, which is kind of a record. Yeah, I don't think that's something that'll ever happen again either. No, definitely not. Hey, uh, on, under the Braves a little bit, they sit at thirty-one and twenty-five right now, two games out. You know, tied for second. In, actually, uh, yeah, they're tied for second in the National League East. Um, let's, let's get a little bit about where they're he- heading. I know Brandon Beachy's off to a good start. Jair Jurgens is down in the minors. Uh, what's what's the mindset of the Atlanta Braves as they they're moving forward and trying to compete in the National League East? It looks pretty good, actually. They've had a lot of devastating injuries so far. Uh, Freddie Freeman's eyes, that's been a major problem this year. Uh, He had problems with his eyes out in Denver, and since then it's been a struggle for him. 
but he was hitting a ton. In fact, he was probably headed to be the National League All-Star first baseman the way he was playing prior to his eye problems. Uh, Brian McCann, of course, is an established hitter. He's a, a catcher. Uh, the pitching is pretty good, especially the back end of that bullpen. I don't think there's any dispute that Craig Kimbrell is probably the best closer working right now. That's He's just sense. unbelievable. He's lights out. He comes in, and he doesn't allow anything. He usually, I shouldn't say usually, but often strikes out the side. Uh, he's just incredible. And O'Flaherty and Venters, Venters had a few rough spots, but O'Flaherty's been dynamite. So the back end of the bullpen is strong, and the front end of the rotation is pretty good with both Beachy and Tim Hudson. Uh, Mike Miner has been a, a problem this year. He had a great spring training. He's the only lefty in the rotation, but he's been struggling a little bit. But Randall Delgado, who's another kid, pitched a, you know, he only gave up two hits to the Marlins last night. In fact, the whole Marlins only got two hits in the whole game, and they both came in the same inning. But Randall Delgado's been pitching pretty well. So I think they have a good future. And, you know, when Chipper gets in that lineup, when Chipper plays, the Braves are pretty tough to beat. They also have one other thing we should point out here. Uh, less than a week, their new shortstop, Andrelton Simmons, he was regarded as the finest defensive infielder in the minor leagues, in all the minor leagues, when he got promoted. And he's a pretty darn good hitter, too. So that makes a big difference to the Braves. Now, it's funny that you mentioned uh, uh, Angelton Simmons, because I, actually I was going to ask you about him. Because, uh, you know, when I was down in spring training, I go down there every year for, you know, to uh, you know, watch some games for the Mets, because I'm a Mets fan. And he was kind of a player that stuck out to me. You know, Tyler Pasternicki was, you know, expected to be the starting shortstop for the Braves, and he is. But, you know, just watching uh, Simmons play, he seemed to be, you know, probably the overall better athlete, and I thought the better hitter. Um, you know, what, what was what was going on with, with, with the Braves? Is that something that they just didn't want to rush him to the majors? Or was it, a ch- you know, the situation where they wanted to give Pastor Nicky the chance to be the shortstop first? Well, there were a couple of things. Pastor Nicky had a little more experience than Simmons did. You know, they're both the same age. They're both 22 years old. But Pastor Nicky is not the defensive player that Simmons is. Simmons actually won a batting title in Class A last year. But they wanted to give him at least some time in Double A. And also, by calling him up on June 1st, what they did is he loses a year of arbitration eligibility. And that's unfortunate, you know, that the Braves are doing that, but a lot of ball clubs do that. They call up their best prospects June 1st because that saves them a year in the arbitration process. So that's what happened there. And by the way, I've got to mention Dan Ugla, too. I mean, the other day, two home runs and a double against the Marlins, his old team. And if Ugla stays hot, and last year, the second half of the year, he was on fire. He couldn't even lead the league in home runs. He's a real good power-hitting second baseman, and he's probably going to be the National League All-Star starter. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anybody else. I mean, I, honestly, you know, Brandon Phillips has that reputation for being a premier second baseman, but Ugla, for what he did last year and what he's continued to do this year, I think he, he has earned the opportunity to be the starter you know, at second base you know, for the National League All-Stars. Yeah, very much so. I think so too. Yeah, absolutely. Now moving on to the uh, to to the rotation a little bit. I like I like what what Beachy has done. Unfortunately, they haven't been able to get him some wins. You know, he's five and four. He's got a one eighty seven ERA. Certainly deserves better than that. Um, how about a little bit about uh, Jair Jurgens? Gets sent down to the minors. Apparently, his last couple starts haven't been too bad down there. Uh, what about Jurgens? First of all, his fall from being an All Star last year and being in the minors right now, and what a Braves fan or a baseball fan should be able to expect for Jurgens from here forward? My guess is it's going to be traded um, because uh, a number of reasons. First of all, after he hurt his knee, well, before he hurt his knee last year, let's go back to the All-Star break last year. He was the best pitcher in the National League, and he probably should have been the starting pitcher in the All-Star game. He, his ERA was under two. He was 
having a phenomenal year, looked well on his way to winning 20 games. Then he hurt his knee and won one game after the All-Star break. He was horrendous. Getting into spring training this year, he told everybody he was healthy. He had a terrible spring training. He couldn't throw the ball over the plate. He was walking guys. He was getting hit hard, giving up home runs. And they figured, oh, well, it's spring training. He's going to still be our number one pitcher. Well, he was awful once the season started, too. Then they sent him down to AAA, and he's had a number of really bad games in AAA. He's also popped off saying that they don't appreciate me anymore, they don't want me anymore. You know, when when Mike Miner was struggling, there were rumors that they would send down Mike Miner and call back Jurgens because of Jurgens' experience. Well, it didn't happen. In fact, uh, there's a prospect named Julio Tehran at uh, Gwinnett, which is AAA, and they were thinking about promoting him. What they actually wound up doing is sending down Chris Medlin, who had been working in the bullpen, to stretch him out and bring him back as a starter. Medlin, historically, has been better as a starting pitcher. So he's down in AAA working to be a starter. And they also have Lovlan Hernandez, the ancient mariner there, <laughs> who has a history as a starting pitcher. had never relieved till this year. And he's pitched pretty well. So he's an innings eater also. So they might do something with the back end of the rotation, depending on whether Mike Miner gets himself straightened up. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, I, and actually, I, I do agree with you. I think Jurgens ends up being traded. There was there was some rumors, you know, in the off season that you know the Orioles and Braves were talking about a potential Jurgens and Prado trade for Adam Jones. And you know, if the Orioles were interested in that, which I I, I don't know if they ever were, I think that that would that would have certainly been a steal for the Braves. What do you think about that? Well, I don't know if it would have been a steal because Prado really has come back to his 2010 level of performance. He's really doing very well and probably will get on the All-Star team again, as he has been before. So I'm kind of glad they didn't trade Prado, especially considering that Chipper Jones has been out so much. Prado's been playing third base a lot. And the other guy that they have, which is uh, Frank, um, I'm sorry, Juan Francisco, has hit a few home runs, but he's not a great defensive player. He strikes out a lot, doesn't run real well. I mean, Prado's a much better bet, and he's hitting way over 300. In fact, he's probably the best hitter on the team right now. So they're lucky that, that they didn't make that trade with Jurgens and Prado for Jones. The Braves, however, are interested in acquiring a center fielder because Michael Bourne is going to be a free agent. He's represented by Scott Boris. That's double jeopardy, and they don't think they can resign him. Yeah, and absolutely. And looking looking at it, Bourne for a second too. I mean, I think honestly, I don't see too many teams really being interested in you know six years, a hundred million for Michael Bourne, who is a very good base dealer. And has actually played very well for the season. I think I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if he made the All Star team this year. But um, yeah, I, I just think I, I think you know in the end the Braves will be wise and probably let him walk as a free agent. I think so too. Well, one of the teams interested, by the way, is your team, the Mets. I yeah. mean, they would love to have that kind of a center fielder. And since, since they lost Jose Reyes, they really don't have that big speed guy at the top of the lineup. Reyes was a, you know he was a catalyst. He was a destroyer. And as an opposing, as a, you know, as somebody who cheers for the opposing team, whenever Reyes would get on base, I would go nuts because he would always, yeah. you know, you walk him and he winds up on third base. So, he, you know, without that, it's, it's a big difference. I know Reyes is having a, a real bad year so far with the Marlins, and maybe he's trying to justify that contract. Who knows? Yeah, I think over time he'll justify the contract. I actually didn't think that the Marlins overpaid for him. I think a team was going to give him that money, and it just happened to be the Marlins. But you know, when it, I think when it comes down to it, the thing, I, the thing that I, issue that I have with the potentially the Mets adding Bourne would be is if he is looking for Reyes money. If the Mets were not willing to, you know, panty up, you know, any up that money for, you know, Jose Reyes, 
then why are you going to do it for Michael Bourne? And actually, I think Reyes as a hitter is overall a better hitter. He does have he has a little more power than Bourne. He plays yeah. more of a premium position. You know, shortstop. You're not going to find shortstops that could do what Jose Reyes can do. And I just think if, you know, if, if all things being equal, the Mets would have been better off uh, keeping Reyes than signing Bourne. I, I tend to agree with you there for sure. I mean, Reyes certainly has more power than Bourne does, although Bourne actually had the first two-home run game of his career this year. Yeah, and he's already hit five home runs, which is twice as many as he hit last year. So who knows? I mean, once again, he's in his contract year, and he's, he's doing really well. And the question the Braves have is what happens on July 31st? Do they keep him knowing he's going to walk? Or do they trade him? They have to remember, years ago, they had Mark Teixeira, and they traded him right at the deadline, but they traded Hatchard, I'm sorry, they, they traded for him uh, from, uh, from um, Texas. Yeah, from Texas. And they traded half of their team to Texas. And ever since that trade, the Rangers have thrived because of all the ex-Braves they've got. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, look at it. I mean, their shortstop, uh, Elvis Andrus, uh, Feliz, uh, their closer. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they got Jared Saltonamaki in that trade, uh, Matt Harrison. I mean, all of the guys they got in that trade for Teixeira have thrived. So they got to be real careful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing, too, a lot will have to do with where the Braves are in the standings. Now, one thing I did want to ask you, and I'll you know, end up getting, letting you go. Once again, John Pielli, Passball Show. I'm here with Dan Schlossberg, an author of 35 baseball books. And you gotta, you got to definitely check them out on Braves Banter at 7 p.m. tonight on Blog Talk Radio. Right, um, with Billy Sample tonight. With Billy Sample tonight. Um, the Braves, obviously, were heading to the playoffs last year. And September yep. obviously did not go their way. They ended up with a, a tremendous collapse that I think if it, was, if it didn't coincide with what happened in Boston, it would have gotten a lot more national attention. Yes. What, what do you think about the, the Braves' reaction to it? They have veteran players like a Chipper Jones and a Brian McCann and a Tim Hudson who may be able to help the younger players. One question that I had and one, in, one interest that I had was the bullpen. You know, uh, Freddie Gonzalez seemed to overuse the bullpen towards the end of last year. And so far, I think the Braves have actually done well with that. But what do you think psychologically affects the team that is coming off of such a historic collapse? Well, they did have a rough spring training, and they did lose their first four games. They looked awful in their season opening series at City Field against the Mets. They didn't hit. Their pitching wasn't that great. They're, they're, I mean, I would say the offense was the main culprit. And in September of last year, that was their problem. They couldn't hit. The Red Sox collapse was interesting because they hit very well, and they couldn't pitch. The Braves got pretty good pitching. They just had no offense to support it. Uh, one of the culprits last year was Alex Gonzalez. I mean, Alex Gonzalez is a good fielding shortstop. He has some pop. He didn't hit. And, you know, that really hurt. And they let him go. He's with the Brewers now. And, in fact, he's injured now. He's, he's also out for, out for the season, yeah. He's out, out for the year, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, Simmons is a much better athlete. Frank Wren said to me that the, he wants the Braves to become more athletic. And a guy like, you know, Jason Heward is a five, five-tool player. He's not doing that well at the moment, but he's got great speed. I mean, for a while there, he was up among the leaders in stolen bases this year. He's got great power. He's got a great arm. He's a good fielder. So you've got to look at guys like that. Um, Simmons also is multi-talented. He can, he can do a lot. The Braves' big absence before Michael Bourne came last year at the trade deadline was speed. They didn't have any. Now they do. In fact, uh, what Freddie Gonzalez has been doing is batting the pitcher ninth and batting, I'm sorry, batting the pitcher eighth and batting Jose Constanza ninth 
playing on field, so that Constanza and Bourne, the two speedsters, can bat back-to-back. And it's really paid off. Constanza's hitting quite well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Braves you know, the Braves are going to be something in the second half. I don't see any reason why they can't compete for the wild-card spot this year. All right, Dan, listen, I'm going to let you go, man. I know you got to eat dinner. Thanks a lot for having a couple minutes today, and I hope to speak to you again in the near future. Okay, Donna, good luck to you, Mets. I hope they finish second only to the Braves. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk Thanks to you soon, lot. buddy. And it's Dan Schlossberg, MTR Radio Network, John Pielli Passball Show. We're going to break for a little bit. We'll be back with some stuff going on in a little bit.